Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Almost 15 years ago, a phrase started being used in our culture. It was a phrase that was used to describe people who would hook up sexually with no commitment, with no emotional attachment to one another. The phrase was friends with benefits. And that phrase, to be honest with you, really showed how far our society had fallen, not only from biblical values, but from simple, common-sense, moral values. But long before our fallen culture took that phrase, friends with benefits, and misused it, God had already implied that phrase in His Word. But God had a different definition for it. And God used it in a different way, and we discover that in Romans chapter 5. You see, Romans 5 is all about the benefits that you and I have as friends of God. And so I want you, if your Bibles are open, to read with me, beginning with verse 1, and I want us to read through verse 11. Notice what it says, Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and And character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Some translations say through whom now we have been made friends with God. We who are justified by faith, we who have been made friends with God, now receive all of this that Paul was talking about, And more. Now notice what it says in verse 1. Verse 1 begins with the word therefore. And that word takes us back to everything Paul has already said in the previous four chapters. With one word, Paul reminds us of everything that he has already said. Now Paul begins in chapter 1 by telling us that he is excited. And he wants to come to Rome to preach the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes. But then after Paul says that, he begins to tell them about God's wrath. And he lets them know that God's holy anger, God's wrath, is going to be shown on everyone who sinfully and willfully rejects the truth. And then he gives us an example of those who reject the truth in Romans chapter 1. I want you to notice what he says beginning in verse 24. It says, as a result, and this is, a, this is an expression, this is a, a picture, this is an example of those who are going to experience the wrath, the angry judgment of God. It says, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They, they traded the truth about God for a lie. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and, and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, and instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty, penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and, and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of, of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They even invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless and they have no mercy. They know God's just requirements that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them as well. Now, as many of you hear me read those words, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's not me. I'm okay. And I would dare say to you, if that's what you're saying, you probably listened to the, the first part and you tuned out the, the last part. Because, because this passage is not only talking about deviant sexual behavior, it's, it's talking about quarreling. Something that we all do. Envy and gossip and backstabbing and, and pride. It's talking about disobedience to parents. I mean, these are things that we're all guilty of. And yet Paul knew, as he wrote this letter to Rome, that there were going to be some who said, well, well, we don't deserve the wrath of God. Because that doesn't describe us. And so in chapter 2... Paul begins to focus on the religious people. And he begins to tell the religious people, those who were practicing Jews, that just as these pagans deserve the wrath of God, you deserve the wrath of God as well. Listen to what he says in, in chapter 2. He says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad 
And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgments when you do the, the exact same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Uh, Paul begins by, by telling how these pagans who, who have no knowledge of God They have no desire for God. Their desire is to live their lives independent of God. And they try to write God out of human history. And they deserve God's wrath. God's angry judgment. But then he comes to us. Those of us who know the truth. Those of us who who look at those who are caught up in sin and we go, yes, They deserve God's judgment. And Paul says, but so do we. So does each and every one of us who who have heard the truth about sin. And yet we think because of, of the race that we belong to, because we are Jews, because we are God's chosen people, we're going to go to heaven and we're going to experience glory and we're not going to have to answer to God Paul says you're fooling yourselves. Just like the pagan who is living his life independent of God. You who know God, you know of his mercy, you know of his grace, and yet you continue in sin, you are under judgment as well. And in chapter 3, he lowers the boom on everyone. Because in chapter 3 he says there is no one righteous, there is not even one, no one is good, all have sinned, we've all fallen short of the standard of God. Every single one of us have rebelled against God and none of us, absolutely none of us have any hope of measuring up to the standard that God has set. That's what he tells us. And he lets us know that that we are completely helpless on our own to do anything about our sin and, and to somehow escape the consequences of our sin. But then as we get to the latter part of chapter 3, Paul begins to break some good news to us. He tells us that, that even though we are sinners, God in his grace and God in his mercy has provided a way for us to be forgiven. God has provided a way for us to be made righteous and that way is through Jesus. And he tells us that that through the sacrifice of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. But he tells us that that the sacrifice of Jesus is, is not only enough to forgive us, The sacrifice of Jesus is enough to set us free. 
and he tells us that, that Jesus Christ died to set us free from the, the penalty of our sin. Death and, and hell. He, he set us free from the power of sin. We no longer have to live under the bondage of sin anymore. And he tells us that one day we will be set free from the very presence of sin. And he lets us know that, that everyone who longs to be free from sin can come to Jesus. And receive mercy and forgiveness and salvation and a new life. And in chapter 4, he, he makes it clear that each and every one of us knows that it's not by our works that we're saved. It's not that, that we determine that we're going to live a good life and we're going to go to church and we're going to read our Bible and we're going to pray and we're going to do all of these good deeds because our good deeds are never enough. No, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by our faith in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. And then that takes us to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been made right with God through our faith, we have. And then Paul begins to tell us some of the benefits that we have because we have placed our faith in Jesus. You see, what the Bible teaches is this. By faith, Saving faith, we become friends with God. And when we become friends with God, there are benefits to that friendship with God. And they are incredible benefits. Now understand, this book right here is filled with the benefits that we have when we come to Jesus by faith. When we humbly receive Him as our Savior and Lord. And this book gives us benefit after benefit after benefit. But as we look at chapter 5, Paul gives us four basic benefits that each and every one of us need to know. I want to give these to you. First of all, Paul tells us that when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. When we are justified by faith, we have peace. You see, when mankind rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, that rebellion was an act of war. And the Bible says that mankind has been at war with God ever since. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says, and so people become enemies of God when they are controlled by their own human nature. For they do not obey God's laws. And in fact, they cannot obey God's laws. And so the Bible says that when we follow our human nature, which is the only thing that we can do apart from the saving work of Jesus in our life, we are enemies of God. He says when we do not obey God, but we follow our own sinful desires, we're God's enemies. And he says, we cannot do anything about that. So understand, you are born an enemy of God. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with this world 
is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Whenever we long for, whenever we seek out, whenever we try to follow the ways of this world, we are declaring that we are enemies of God. And there's no neutrality in this war, in this battle. In Luke chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. I love that verse in the message translation. Listen to what it says. Jesus said, this is war. And there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're my enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. You see, there is no Switzerland in this war against God. You are either with God or you are against God. You are fighting with him or you are fighting against him. You are on his team. You are a part of his army or you are in the army that is an enemy of God fighting against him. And understand, this is a war that the world will not win. When we continue in rebellion against God, when we continue to fight against God, there is no way we can ever come out on top. And yet, even though we are the ones who have rebelled against God, we are the ones who wage war against God, the Bible teaches us that God took the initiative to declare peace. And God did this through Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, God was taking the initiative to declare peace with us. And when we come to Jesus humbly, acknowledging our sin, receiving him as our Savior and our Lord, peace with God is declared. We are no longer at war with God. And here is the incredible news. You see, when we experience peace with God, we can then begin to experience the peace of God. And let me say that again. You see, when we have the peace with God, the battle is over. We've declared peace. We no longer want to fight. We want to surrender. We want to submit. When we do that, we are at that point where we can begin to experience the peace of God. In Isaiah 26, 3, you may want to write this verse down. It's a verse that I would encourage every person to learn. It says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. God will keep us in perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because we trust in Him. When we trust in God, He can give us a perfect peace. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, it says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God can give us a peace that is beyond our ability to understand. Now, here's what I know. I know everybody in the world is looking for peace. 
And some of us look for peace in, in a pill or a bottle. Some of us look for peace in a paycheck or prosperity or material wealth. Some of us look for peace in, 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 in the next satisfying relationship. We look for peace in a lot of different ways. But all of those peace is that the world give, gives will never satisfy completely. We may have momentary peace. But sooner or later that peace will disappear. Because there is only one peace that passes our ability to understand. There's only one peace that can give us peace in the midst of the storm. And that's the peace that God gives to us. And so before we go any further, let me ask you. Do you have that peace? God's peace? That's the benefit of salvation. We have peace with God and we have the peace of God. But notice, secondly, he tells us that, that when we are justified by faith, we have access to God. Now, that word access, it literally means to bring forward. It was used of a person who brought another person before another. It was used to describe a person who would usher another into the presence of a king. And so when, when the person would, would bring someone before the king, they were gaining access to the king. And what this is saying to us is this. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we have access into the presence of Almighty God. And that's something new. In the Old Testament... The Gentiles could not even go into the temple. The Jews could not go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go there into the presence of God one time a year. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil that separated God's presence from the world was split in two. The walls that separated us from God's presence were broken down. And now, because of faith in what Jesus did, we have access to Almighty God. And we can go to Him whenever we please. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, the Bible says that you and I have been given the privilege to stand before God confidently and tell Him our needs and ask Him for His help. That's what it says in Hebrews. We can approach God confidently and we can receive His mercy in the hour of our need. I love how John expressed it in 1 John. He said, this is the confidence we have in him. 
That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we have desired. Think about that. You and I, through the power of prayer and through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins, have the privilege of going into the throne room of heaven and telling our loving Heavenly Father every one of our needs. And we know that He hears us. And we know that He loves us. And we know that when these petitions are a part of His will and His plan for our lives, He is going to give them to us. i got to tell you, That's so comforting to me. On on a personal note, I've got a son. And I'm going to share this because he's not in here. But I I love him dearly, my middle son. And and he's he's not living for the Lord. He's not out doing horrible things. He's just not living for the Lord. And i got to tell you, I I don't think he's saved. I don't think he's going to heaven. And every morning, in my prayer time, I can approach the throne of God boldly. And I can ask God to convict him of his need and the need for righteousness and that there's a judgment. And I can ask God to show him his love. And I can ask God to bring someone into his life that he will listen to. And as I share that with God from a heart of a father, I know that God's going to hear Because he said that I can approach him boldly in my hour of need and I will find mercy. You see, we've got that privilege. And I believe with all my heart that that the, the most important prayer needs and prayer concerns that we're pouring before the throne of God should be spiritual. But let me say, those aren't the only things. We're able to go before God with their physical needs and our physical problems. and We're able to go to God with our relational problems. And we're able to go to God with our, with our, our job situation. We're able to go to God with everything. And we know that our God is concerned about every area of our life. Amen? And because we have been justified by faith, We have access to God. It's pretty amazing. But that's two. We have peace with God that that gives us the peace of God. We have access to God that that allows us to come to the throne of God boldly and share our needs with Him. And as we share our needs, we know that we're going to find mercy and grace. But third, we have a hope that comes from God. Now, so that you don't misunderstand, I want us to read this again. Beginning in verse 2, midway through verse 2, it says this. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, our perseverance character, our character, hope. Paul says we rejoice in hope, but then the very next phrase, he says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, why are those two things together? I believe it is because Paul wants us to know that our hope 
is not primarily found in this world. You see, that's the problem with many of us and maybe the problem with most of us. We, we give our life to Jesus and, and we think our hope is caught up in this world. I give my life to Jesus and I'm not going to have problems. I'm not going to have pain. I'm, I'm not going to have suffering. And, and everything's going to go great in my life. And nothing is going to go wrong in my life. And we start living life and we realize that's just not true. Because the fact of the matter is we're going to experience trouble in this world. It's what Jesus said in John 16. He said, in this world you will have trouble. In 2 Timothy, Paul said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted. Sometimes we, we suffer simply because we live in a fallen world. And suffering is a part of this fallen world. Sometimes we suffer because of sinful choices we've made. You see, there are times that, that we've, fall into a pit with a shovel that we've dug, the hole. And we need to understand there are times that our pain and our suffering is a result of, of our choices, but there are other times that, that our pain and our suffering is, is the result of seeking to live a godly life. There are churches out there that tell us that if you are suffering, then something must be wrong in your life. If you're suffering, then you don't have enough faith, but that's not true. You see, there are times that our suffering is not a sign that we don't have enough faith. Our suffering is actually a sign that we do have faith. I mean, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrews who were thrown into a fiery furnace because they would not bend their knee to that golden altar. Think about Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's den because he refused to pray to the pagan gods and he continued to pray to the one true God. Think about Paul, who the Bible says was afflicted over and over. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison. Think about John, who was imprisoned on a prison island called Patmos. Why were they suffering? They were suffering because they were seeking to live a godly life. And yet, here's what Paul said. He said that because of Jesus, even in the midst of our suffering, we have hope. How? Well, one, we know that our suffering is momentary, amen? I mean, pain may seem like it lasts forever, but it is momentary. And one day it will be over. And at that day we will experience the mercy and the grace and the love of God like we never have before. And then second, we know that when we are going through suffering, God is using the suffering to produce something good in our lives. That's what he promised. He said, our suffering produces character, perseverance that produces character, that the character produces hope. Do you remember what he said in Romans 8? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. You see, as Christ followers, hopefully we've read the last chapter. 
And we know that we're on the winning team, amen? We know that no matter what happens to us, we're going to make it. And so whatever affliction, whatever hardship comes our way, we have hope. And so I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know this. I do know that one day, someday, life is going to seem overwhelming to you. And when life appears overwhelming, when the bottom falls out, and you can relate to Job, it's then and there that you will be able to discover the true measure of your faith. Is it real? Because faith that justifies is a faith that gives hope in the midst of the difficulties of life. So because we're justified by faith, we have the peace with God that brings the peace of God. We, we have access to God so we can go boldly before the throne of God. We have hope in the midst of the suffering that happens in this world. But then finally, we have the love of God. God's love, it says, is literally poured out in our lives. Listen to how it describes it in in verses 8 through 11 in the New Living Translation. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ... He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You see, God's love is poured into our hearts. You say, what does that mean? What does it mean that God's love is poured into our hearts through his spirit? Here's what I believe it means. In those days of doubt, in those days of despair, in those days of anguish, because God has placed his Holy Spirit within us and he has poured his love out into us through The Holy Spirit, even in the midst of our doubt, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the love of God. And he reminds us that even while we were still sinners, enemies of God, rebelling against God, God demonstrated his love by allowing Jesus to die for us. And he tells us that 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 love is a love so great that it will lead us through the wrath that is yet to come. In other words, the wrath that we read about in Romans chapter 1, the wrath that is coming on all the ungodly, we know because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and is testifying with us that we are children of God, we know that we are spared that wrath that is to come. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God that brings the peace of God. 
we have access to God, where we can find mercy and we can approach the throne of God boldly. We have hope that allows us to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. And we have the love of God that will never leave us, that will never forsake us, that has been poured into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if we have that, what more do we need? I mean, is it really the houses and the cars and the property and and the nice things and and the comfort and the health and, and all of these other things that we long for as part of the American dream? Is that really what we need? Or if we have the peace of God We have access to God. We have the hope that comes from God. We have the love of God. And what else do we really need? And so what about you? Do you have it? Do you know that God's peace that passes all understanding has been planted in your life? Have you experienced Access to God through prayer. Have you discovered that? Do you know what it is to approach the throne of God boldly and know that God is hearing your prayers? Do you have a hope that is beyond anything that this world has to offer? A hope that allows us even to go through suffering and trials and come out praising God, rejoicing. Is the love of God that has been poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit, is that love permeating your life? If you've been justified by faith, it has. You have all of those things. And you have more. And you need to rest in God's promises. Then if you're here and you're going, I don't know if I have all that then what you need to ask is, have I been justified by faith? Because when you've been justified by faith and the Holy Spirit makes you a brand new person, you turn from sin and you trust Christ alone to save you. All of those things begin to happen in your life. You may not experience them immediately, but you will experience them eventually. And you will know they are there because God promised them. So I want you to bow your head. And as we wrap this up this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here and you've never experienced these benefits, I want to give you the opportunity to give your heart and life to Jesus this morning. Receive the gospel. Let Jesus save you. And begin to experience all that that entails. Peace, love, hope, access to God. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus humbly, trusting him to save you, surrendering your life to him, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin, asking you to save me. 
Jesus, I I don't want to live in bondage to sin anymore. I want to be set free. I believe you died on the cross to do that. So that I could be forgiven. So that I could be set free. And right now, I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take control. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.